<laughs> All right, let's do a few text messages here. We've got a few coming in here this morning. Uh, let's have a look and see what we've got here. And, and this is this is a you know in relationship to the interview that we just had. Um, somebody's texted through to say, "No greater love than someone giving their life for a stranger." Yeah, well, Aaron was a true Christian. We pray for his family. A real miracle story. God is walking with you, Chris. Stay close to him, and he will keep you till the end. May he bless your ministry and return you to full health. Mm. Yeah, so great message right there. Um, just um, wishing Chris all the best, and we do uh, wish all the, wish Chris all the best. Uh, we've got uh, Vincent just texting through to say, you know, amazing story that uh, we just heard, and it's not often we get to, you know, I think that's probably one of the only time. I think Chris is the only person that I personally know who is someone who somebody else has given their life for. Yeah. We hear these kind of thought stories from time to time, but uh, John texts in and says, thanks for organizing that story. So powerful and incredible. So we've got, yeah, people, a lot of people wanting to um, express their thoughts on this. Uh, another one here says, while I agree with you about religious rights for all religions, it's pretty hard to fight for someone who refuses to give you the same rights. Hate you and wants you dead. Should it not be a two-way street? I will fight for your rights. I will, I, or will I, or I will fight for your rights while you are abusing me. Hard call. It is a hard call, mm. but the simple reality is that we are to <clears throat> call for religious liberty, which is different for calling for Christian liberty. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's. That's what it's about. That's right. If and if we can bring a, you know, a a biblical, you know, like principle into it, you know, where you've got Jesus saying, "Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile." Um, in, in these settings, like, you know, they were experiencing persecution from, uh, you know, the Roman empire as a group of people, um, uh, you know, like this is like racial, racial persecution just about like, which is, you know, even, even a higher level of like, because that's something you physically can't change. Yes, racial and religious. Racial and religious. Uh, yet the, the constant call from Christ was one of peace. Um, and one of, you know, sharing those rights for all people, whether mm. you're a Roman or a Jew or a Christian or whatever it may be. So, yeah. It's an interesting one. And, you know, when I look at this situation of this Muslim cleric who has been arrested in Indonesia for uh, blasphemy against Christianity, it's this is going to be a test for Christians. Mm. You know, do we just believe in Christian liberty or do we believe in religious liberty? Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a major test, and we need to stand up for religious liberty uh, because that's what it's all about. Um, we can't be we, – we want if we want the government not to be one-sided because, you know, the Indonesian government for a very, very long time has been very one-sided about their uh, approach to religion in that, you know, the persecution has only ever gone one way. Mm. But if we want the government to treat everyone equally – then we need to treat everybody equally as well. Mm, mm. And we need to set that example. And this is a great opportunity right here to, for uh, for Christians to make a great stand for religious liberty and actually educate the world on what religious liberty is because yeah, very, wow. very few people actually understand what religious liberty is. Mm. And it's something that's going to – it's an issue that's going to touch all of us very soon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, now we had a text message that came through yesterday right at the end of the show it was one of those text messages that it 
Um, you know, sometimes somebody sends a text message and it just gets delayed in the ether for some reason. Yeah, that's it was right. one of those ones. And it came through from yesterday. We were having a very interesting discussion with the, um, Scott Devlin from Creation Ministries mm. International about the speed of light. Yeah. And uh, this person, uh, Kelvin, texts through, say, talking about light, my biggest argument against the Big Bang is the universe itself. Astronomers tell us that the universe is 90 billion light years across, but only 4.5 billion light years old. Mm. So if it's 90 billion light years across, okay, so I'm, I'm just butting in here, um, and he, he goes, and therein lies the problem. So if it's 90 billion light years across, but it's only four and a half billion light years old, and you can't go speeder, faster than the speed of light, and it all came from a Big Bang. Shouldn't it be ninety billion years old rather than four and a half billion years old? Mm. Well, this was something that uh, Scott made the point that now, um, like those you know people, uh, Big Bang, you know, evolutionary theorists, that like old universe kind of people, they're seeking to come up with a method in which the light can travel faster to support their claims. Because we, we yeah, have an answer, right. right? It's that Absolutely. like, oh, yeah, well, they, they could have just already created. existed and it was a created, you know, supernatural work. They're trying to come up with... Um, with solutions to that problem because it doesn't it doesn't fit in yeah. with their theory. It goes on to point out the universe has to expand at twenty times the speed of light for that length of time that it existed. Mm. Albert Einstein postulated that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Ergo, we can not believe the Big Bang is plausible. So good point, Kelvin, right there. Thank mm. you for sharing that with us. That one one came through yesterday. Well, it's like that's what was ah oh, they did that test in two thousand eleven and they thought they um, witnessed uh, particles going faster than the speed of light, which is important because a particle has weight. That's the, the thing. Why nothing can eclipse the speed of light is because a photon doesn't have weight. But as soon as something has weight and has mass, um, as it approaches the speed of light, um, the drag that it experiences, like it, it exponentially increases in its its own weight so that it can't surpass the speed of light um, because it has weight. But if a particle can surpass the speed of light... Um, you know, with weight, then that that is why they're saying it's the speed of causality because it's 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 impossible to do. It's 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 uh-huh, it, it uh-huh. is it's impossible to do, and so it's like, yeah, you how can you come up? How can you how can you come up with a solution to that where the universe is if the universe is expands twenty times faster than the speed of light? When no, we have witnessed no object with mass ever even come close to the speed of light. Because it emit, like it gains weight exponentially and can't reach it, then it's like this is one of the things that I really love about being a Christian, and I look forward to having an eternity in you know in a perfect universe where we can actually investigate this stuff and study it in more depth. Because here we are as weak, failing, mortal, sinful human beings, mm. and we are just struggling to understand our yeah. universe. Well, like they've supposed, if something can eclipse the speed of light. If, if something with mass has the ability to eclipse the speed of light, then theoretically time would start running backwards. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Of course. You'd start to see things happening in reverse. Yeah. So, which is, you know, then you get into the realm of science fiction and then it's like, yeah. Dude, lots of movies, like, uh, lots of movies made around <laughs> that kind of thing, that kind of concept. Time travel yeah. movies. Yeah, we don't have flux capacitors here, bro. Like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm disappointed. Anyway, let's get to our Bible study. Let's talk about some things that we are are actually real today, and we're going to be talking about slavery. Slavery is our subject Oof. for today, so let's go to Genesis chapter four and verse seven. All right, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 7. four. Have you ever been a slave? Um, to sin. 
<laughs> but no, not literally. I don't okay. know. There's some, I'm sure there's some joke in there about like growing up in a household with my parents and having to do chores, but when you're growing up relatively privileged, it, it's not a problem. It's, yes, it's, my, my boys thought that they were slaves when they had to cut grass and do dishes. Yeah, that's right. But it's more like indentured service because then your parents just like give you everything. And and, and, and now you. my boys are married and one of them has a child and guess what those kids are going to be doing when they grow up? Oh, cutting grass and cleaning dishes. Cutting grass <laughs> and washing dishes and complaining about being a slave. <laughs> That's right. It'll be the best thing for those kids, best thing that'll ever happen mm. to them. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, go for it, Lawson. All right, in verse 7 the Bible says, You will uh, be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Okay, so the Bible says that sin crouches at our door and that sin wants to control us. That sounds a lot like slavery to me. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Now, this is an interesting passage because has Cain actually sinned at this particular point? Um, n- no. Well, he hasn't killed Abel. No, not that particular sin. Yeah, yeah. you're right. He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't committed that particular sin, and that's what God is specifically mm. talking about. So, if we go back up through the passage, what we find is this: uh, God called them to bring a sacrifice of a lamb. Mm. Obviously, the lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of the lamb uh, involving the death of the lamb, a symbol that Jesus would give his life for us, that he would shed his blood and that our sins would be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That was That's what we've got happening here. And you've got this situation where, you know, Cain wants to do the wrong thing for very good reasons. Mm. And you find this happening often in the Bible where people decide they're going to do the wrong thing for good reasons. Oh. Yeah. You know, you've got that happening with Abraham. He's going to do the wrong thing, sleep with Hagar, for good reasons to have uh, a descendant through which the Messiah can come. Mm. You've got, like, dude, all throughout the stories, like 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, like when you read through the stories of the kings of Israel. Yes. Like, it's just full of them. But the A1 example is, like, Saul, you know, sparing Agag. Like, that's right. Yeah. And so you've got this, you've got this question that arises out of the story with Cain and Abel. You know, when God tells us to do something, is God specific about what he tells us to do? And mm. is there a reason for God saying that? You know, or is God, is, is God just super vague? Does, you know, God come to uh, Cain and Abel and say, bring a sacrifice? Mm. There's seven different sacrifices there you can choose from. Um, pick one. Mm. No. God doesn't say there's seven different sacrifices there you can choose from. Pick one. God says, Choose this one right here. It's exactly the same in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God is very specific. God doesn't come to them and say, look, there's seven different trees you can choose from to be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why don't you choose one? God specifies one. That's right. God is always specific mm-hmm. about what he calls us to do. And so uh, when Cain looks at the sacrifice, he's like, well, you know, sheep is kind of meaningless to me. Mm. I'm not a shepherd. I want to bring something to God that is meaningful to me. Yeah, that's right. And he's a produce grower. And so he brings produce because this is an actual sacrifice for him. And if he's going to bring a sheep, he's got to go and find a sheep that somebody else has, maybe one of Abel's sheep or one of Adam's or maybe they've got some sisters by this particular point. I don't know. Um, and so maybe he's got to get somebody else's sheep or maybe he's got to go and find a wild one. I don't know. 
but it's not something that is particularly meaningful to him. So he does the wrong thing for the right reason, Mm. and God doesn't honor it. And we find our world today is full of people who do the wrong thing for the right reason, and the question is, is God going to honor that? Mm. We have to ask ourselves that question because it's a very, very important question right there, uh, particularly in relationship to you know the subject of the Sabbath that we've been talking about as we go down through this, this whole subject. Okay, so he brings the wrong, and, and the Bible doesn't say what happens. The Bible just says that God doesn't respect his sacrifice. It's almost like God saying, okay, that's great, appreciate what you've done, but now go get a lamb mm. because that's what I asked for. You know, there's no big thing that happens here. There's not the end of the world. It's God just saying, this is not the sacrifice that I was looking for. And, you know, I think that if Cain had brought the lamb and a whole bunch of produce as well, you know, God would have understood what was in his heart and gone, yeah, this is this is fantastic. This is an expression of Cain's love for me, and uh, and this is fantastic. But God is always specific. The mm. lamb had to be there because the lamb was in a, a, a symbol of Jesus Christ. But then what happens when Cain goes away from there? Does he go get a lamb? No. No. What what what's taking place in his mind, in his heart, as he leaves that particular uh, service? Um, it's it's a mixture of just like extreme um, jealousy yes. and and festering hatred. Towards who? Towards his brother. Towards his brother. Now that's interesting. Who should it? Who really should it be towards? God. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because God is the one who has not respected his mm. sacrifice, mm. and so he's feeling disrespected. But you can't really take it out on God, can you? Mm. Oh yeah. What's he going to do? Throw yeah. It? That's right. Yeah. And so, as you say, there this there is this feeling of jealousy that comes in, and what is the warning that God? gives well he says like hey sin will control you, you sin know? is lying at the door it will control mm. you now take us through the rest of the story there um lawson let's see where this story ends up it continues on in verse 8 it says one day cain suggested to his brother let's go out into the fields and while they were in the field cain attacked his brother abel and killed him afterward the lord asked cain where is your brother where is abel i don't know cain responded am i my brother's guardian But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let me ask you this question, Lawson. Do you think you are capable of murder? Uh, Well, I have the ability to. Yes, but capable of it. Um. I hope not. <laughs> we all hope not, don't we? Right. We all hope not. Yeah. And here's the situation because you've this this is this story does really reveal the nature and the slavery of sin. Mm. Because character is revealed in a time of crisis. Mm. And uh, that's when it's when the crisis happens that we actually really find out who we truly are. That's right. The story that we have right here illustrates the nature of sin. And we look at Adam and Eve's sin and it was just a piece of fruit. Mm. It wasn't anything big. But look at how radically it changed human nature because now you've got human beings who are one millistep from perfection. Mm. 
You've got human beings who can go to the Garden of Eden and see the physically see the Garden of Eden. They can go there to the gates of the garden. They can see the angel who is there constantly. They're not atheists. Mm. So they're one step from perfection. They know the story. They know it well. They know the gospel story because Jesus himself has given them the gospel story. They have more reason to and more, you would think, more resistance to sin than any other human beings that have ever lived because, you know, you look at us and we're, we've got, you know, 6,000 years of hereditary tendency towards sin behind mm. us. That's a lot. They don't have any of that. Yeah. Well, they've got their parents. That's it. Yeah. And, and we're living in a world, like, that is saturated drastically surrounded, you know, and saturated in sin, yeah. And yet sin is such a powerful thing that if we let it, let it dwell in our heart, if we let it grow and live in our mind, it will consume us. And human beings, any human being is capable of doing any sin. We have that capability if we allow sin to control us. I, I think it's like a misstep for us to, to claim that we're immune to it. You know, and I feel like that's well, that's where people people go wrong is that like to claim to be immune to to sin, like and, why do, yeah, it's like like oh, I would never sin. kill anyone, I'd well, never then, kill a fly, but you know, this is the thing is I think what every the, human being has the capability. Yeah, that's right. You just need to put them in the right environment and separate them from God. That's exactly right. You know, I, I've heard it said before, like. You know, we we call the the devil a liar when like the reality is is that God says, well, the Bible says that our heart is deceitfully we deceitfully wicked above all things. Like we have the entirety of the you know the capability of sin in the confines of our own heart and in our own mind. Like that's where we're at. So you can see so clearly for Cain here to make such a drastic step to go from a someone who just gave the wrong sacrifice to a murderer. Um, clearly we need to, if anything, like this should inspire us to be closer to, to God because the, the reality that sin is crouching at the door is so much more um, potent um, and, and true towards us than any other generation that's come before us. Yes, absolutely. All right, so we need to understand the nature of sin. By the way, I've had a couple of text messages come through right here. Very interesting. Um, somebody has pointed out that it's, uh, the issue uh, with matter is mass, not weight. Yes. Yep. That, that, yes. Um, okay, so what about quantum theory? Um, and it says, oops, OBTW, Lawson, the word, yeah, is uh, weight is an expression of the gravitational attraction between, yeah, yeah, okay. Yep, it's mass. Anyway, then somebody else has uh, texted through to say the prophets, some travel faster than the speed of light, so fast they overtook the past to get to the present and further. Now, we're dealing with the supernatural here. Yeah. And the question is, did they travel into the future or did they see a vision in the present of what would happen in the future? Mm, that's right. I would say they saw a present in the a, a vision in the present of what would happen in the future. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about uh, slavery to sin here. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Let's get back to our Bible study. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And while we're turning there, let me ask you this question, Lawson. You've ever been out hiking and come across a river that needs to be crossed and decided to jump it? I did this once. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Okay, so um, you're, uh, you, you, you're, out, you're out in the bush. You're carrying a lot of uh, you know heavy stuff like backpack and so forth. Yeah. When I did I think I was carrying like three days' worth of gear. Oh, true. Yes. And <laughs> hiking boots. 
Oh, okay. It's Tasmania, so heavy clothing. Ra- raising the stakes. Raising the stakes. Yes. Before I decided to jump across that river, what do you think I did? Um, did you take everything off? I divested myself of my backpack, of my coat, of my jumper, of my hiking boots, and I did it in bare feet. Yeah, so you threw everything across. First. Yeah, I committed. I committed. I threw it all across. Oh, okay. So you it had was, to make I, it. Yeah, I was committed to it. Yeah. All right. Then I backed up and made the leap. And mm. it's a, you know, it's a funny thing whenever you're trying to jump across a, uh, a a body of water. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that it doesn't matter where, how wide or narrow it is, you always only ever just make it? Yeah. Like you're like, dude, on flat, I could make this. Easy, like this is the easiest jump ever. Like I could jump down a set of stairs this far, like easy. But then when there's a hole or a water or whatever it is, then it's like, like yeah. it's just the pressure. Yes. Go and watch fail videos on YouTube sometimes. <laughs> People jumping across creeks. It is hilarious to watch. And uh, and so, yeah, I've tossed it all across, made the leap, made it. You know, my, my heel is kind of in the muddy bit on the edge, but I've made it, mm-hmm. particularly because those rivers in Tasmania – uh, yeah, they're kind of melted snow. Yeah, like zero degrees. Don't want to land. Yeah. Don't want to land in them. <laughs> they're kind of cold. And that's kind of what we've got happening here in Hebrews chapter twelve and verse one. Why don't you read for it? The, the Bible says Hebrews chapter twelve and verse one. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us weigh aside every weight and sin that so uh, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Indeed. Okay. So when we read this uh, particular passage right here. Uh, we need to note that uh, what was happening, what, what the reference here is, this is a reference to the Olympics. Mm. And the way they used to train in the Olympics was with weights. Mm. They do weight training. And so your runners, uh, your long distance, your short distance runners, your athletes and so forth would actually wear weights mm. that they would carry while they were running so that when they came to the actual race day, they would put the weights down and run without them. Mm. To build up, you know, extra strength, extra speed, extra endurance, all that kind of, all of that kind of thing. I don't think they really do that anymore. It exists, but like, I think they've just seen the value in just running without just just learn to, learn to do yeah. it as but, you are, particularly in long distance. Like they're just the you know, in a sprint, yeah, like they do a lots of work in the gym you know, building that muscle. But for, for, you know, like if you look at like an Elliot Kipchoge running a, you know, sub two hour marathon or whatever it is, they're just running all the time. Yep. They, they don't need weights. They just need to practice running. <laughs> need to learn dude. how to practice running. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But anyway, that was how they used to do it back in the day. And uh, Paul describes sin being like those weights. Mm. And it, you know, it's so true because when you've got sin in your life and, you know, we've all been there, we've already all experienced it, it drags you down, it holds mm. you back, it plays on your mind, it plagues you, it destroys your ability to serve God. Mm. It's not a good thing. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Let's see what the Bible says over here. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Slavery to sin. And the reason that we're actually covering these verses is because the Bible has two renditions of the Ten Commandments. In one of them, the Bible says we keep the Ten Commandments uh, you know, because uh, God is our creator. In the other one, the Bible says we keep the Ten Commandments because we were rescued from Egypt. 
Mm. But you and I were never rescued from Egypt because we don't have any Jewish background that we know of. And so how does that apply to us? Well, Egypt in the Bible, throughout the Bible, is a symbol of sin. Mm. And the slavery in Egypt is a symbol of the slavery that sin creates. Sin is addictive. Yeah. And it will ensnare you. That's what the Bible says here. You know, a snare is like a trap. If you set a snare, it's something that's going to trap something or someone. And that's what sin does. It's what it's that's what Satan endeavors to do. Mm. All right, Second Peter chapter two and verse nineteen. The Bible says in verse nineteen, they promise freedom, but themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Back up a couple of verses. Give us give us a little bit of context. Okay, uh, starting in verse seventeen, it says these people are as useless as dried up springs. Go back one more verse. Okay, one more verse. Uh, in verse sixteen, it says, but Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up. springs. Uh, springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boastings. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure, they lure back into uh, sin those who have barely escaped from the lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. It's interesting, isn't it, where the Bible says here, you know, and particularly that it highlights, you know, people who draw others back into sexual corruption. Mm. And we live in a world today where people define themselves by their sexuality. Mm. Our sexuality doesn't need to define us. In fact, it shouldn't define us as Christians. It shouldn't define us. And it's a little bit sad when somebody is defined by their sexuality. Mm. Because that's a symbol right there of somebody who has been enslaved. And if you are if, if that is what is defining you, then that is what you are enslaved to. It's a really good illustration of you know what we see today in our world. You know, as a Christian, my desire is to be defined by Jesus Christ mm. as you know as who I am, that I am a follower, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Yeah. But the Bible says that, you know, so often uh, there are so many people who will try and drag us back into sin and to enslave us with sin. The great news is that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he gave his life to set us free from the power of Satan and the power of sin. We can be set free through his blood. May we all enjoy that freedom today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have come time now for the... Question of the Day. Awesome. All right, the question of the day today is, if the night is far spent and the day is at hand in the first century... How can it be at hand now? Um, also, World War One uh, was much darker. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, okay, and it all depends on a little bit of perspective as far as darkness goes because there were some pretty dark things that happened in the first century. But the 20th century, um, we had 231 million people who died as a result of armed conflict, and so definitely that's far, far darker than anything that happened in the first century. So there are a number of things here that we need to look at, and the first thing that we need to consider is Second Thessalonians. Mm. Why does that book exist? What is its purpose? 
And essentially what you have is an entire book written by the Apostle Paul to answer this question right here. Mm. And the reason that he's writing this question is because this was people being confused over this issue today is no different from what it was in the first century. People were confused over exactly the same issue in Paul's day. And he began to recognize that and he began to see that, wait a minute, people are getting confused over this and they are misunderstanding what I'm talking about. So let's all take a big chill pill and let's write Second Thessalonians and clear up the misconceptions. Okay, so Second Thessalonians is your book as a whole that actually answers this question. It's written directly in the context of First Thessalonians, where you're going to find a lot of these statements about the return of Christ and about the promises of you know Jesus coming. You've got those famous passages there, you know, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And what you had as a result of First Thessalonians, you had an entire church that's gone, you know what? These prophecies are all going to be fulfilled in our day. Mm. And so they got very excited over that. And so then Paul had to come back with Second Thessalonians and say, no, that's not how it is. Okay, so that's what that's that's the structure of the Bible. We have this is a major question in the Bible, and we have an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to answering that question. We get time, we'll come back and have a look at some of the uh passages from Second Thessalonians in relationship to that. However, you're going to find this passage, which we find in where is it, Romans chapter uh, 13, I believe it was, Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, uh, where it says, knowing this and, and that knowing that the time is now, it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In other words, than when we first gave our lives to Jesus Christ. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in uh, chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. So that's the context that you've got right there. So what does Paul actually mean by, you know, the, the, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, and then 2,000 years go past and the day has not yet arrived? Okay, so we've got to uh, look at this in the context, first of all, of humanity. For every single human that lives on this earth, how far away, effectively, is the return of Christ? For every human who lives on this earth, you're going to live a lifetime, which is an average in the Bible of 70 years for followers of God, and uh, you know, kind of makes it to a maximum of, of about 100 years, one century. It's pretty much the max that human beings make it to. That's not a long period of time. At the end of that, you're going to die and you're going to sleep in the grave till the resurrection. So the moment that you die, the next blink will be the return of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so for every single person who lives, and this is Paul's whole argument right here, for every one of us who is alive, the return of Christ is just around the corner. It's only ever one lifetime away. And for people that he's preaching to, it's only ever the rest of their lifetime away. So it's never going to be far off for anyone. And so you're going to find this, and this is a context, a, a, a concept that you'll find uh, throughout the Bible where the literal local 
is symbolic of the worldwide and, and, and uh, symbolic, you'll find that in, you know, in relationship to the prophecies of the destruction of Jerusalem, where the destruction of Jerusalem, there are many prophecies in Matthew 20, chapter 24 that talk about the destruction of Jerusalem as a type and as a symbol of what will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes back. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.